This is The System is Broken. I am Lindsay Barrow. I am Randy Thompson. We talk today about non-union work, mostly non-union commercials, Yeah. because I don't really know a lot of non-union TV shows, although I'm sure they're happening. Um, who did we talk to today? We have Muriel Montgomery on to talk from the non-union actor side, just to raise some issues that she's seen in the system, in the industry. And then our industry guest was Kim Kalish, who's a casting associate and an actor herself. Yeah. They talked about some really interesting things and some tips that actors should be doing for themselves. Keep listening because you're about to learn something. Put on your listening caps because you're about to hear some knowledge. (laughs) This is going to be really illuminating. (laughs) (laughs) Put on your sunglasses because your light's going to get really bright. Right? That's what you were saying? (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. (laughs) Cinched, bowed, send it off. We are talking with Muriel Montgomery. You will know Muriel as one of the hosts and co-founders of Hella in your 30s. Hello. And also (laughs) one of the teachers for the Ruby LA and one of the board members for the Ruby LA. And one of the friends. And (laughs) one of the friends. Yeah. I'm definitely a big friend of yours. Not (laughs) Randy's. Thank thank you for clarifying. I'll keep working working towards it. It's a goal. It's a life goal. Hi, Muriel. Um, hello. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm super excited to be here today. Um, there's a flock of parrots in the tree where I'm house sitting that Ooh. has been entertaining me for hours this morning. <laughs> are you joining us from Costa Rica? I wish. God, I wish. No, I'm joining you from Lincoln Heights, but it's awesome. <laughs> It's crazy Costa to me. Costa Rica of Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, it's great. The, I don't know what that means. That literally means nothing. It's tropical. Uh, um, well, I hope we get to hear the parrots at some point. During... Yeah, it, it's a lot of screeching and chattering, but I'm just loving it. Uh, so rude. They don't know words. Um, Muriel, yes. tell us about uh, what brought you to Los Angeles. Uh, I was doing um, improv and theater in Chicago um, for a number of years. And then um, my husband and I decided to come to Los Angeles because we were wanting to make even a little bit of money, like, (laughs) like some sort of money and maybe like, or even just like a hint of the possibility of making money. (laughs) So uh, we moved out here uh, six years ago. And uh, yeah, we've been here ever since. Wow. What's the like, what do you think is like the the dream besides at this point making money? (laughs) Oh God, (laughs) what is the dream? (laughs) Well, I mean, right now we're just, (laughs) that has expanded exponentially since the shutdown. You know, like for us, everything has really shifted a lot. We're both waiters. Like we've been servers forever. That's how you make money to live. And then you act on the side, I guess. (laughs) But now uh, that's not happening anymore. So we're like, you know, I don't know. We're just trying to, I guess the, my answer to that question would be the dream would be uh, 
to be somehow independently wealthy and living in a cheap um, country or (laughs) alternatively, uh, you know, getting on a TV show, that would be great. Or selling a TV show right now. I want to be the girls from pen 15. Um, Just that show is amazing. And like to, to do a project where you're like creatively in control of so many aspects of what's happening. It's just so cool. Maybe that would be a dream. Our podcast to be like really famous. (laughs) That would be a great dream. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good dream. Yeah. Our numbers have been getting better, but it's so funny. It's like, you can do something that like 150,000 people listen to, and it still like will make you two hundred dollars a month (laughs) (laughs) i mean we know that we know that this is this is our second podcast and we have i i I forget what the numbers are but it was close to one hundred fifty thousand or 250 million people that's amazing it's so crazy it's so huge the amount of people it's nice if you don't track numbers you can just come up with them (laughs) yeah and we're just like we saw the numbers for the first time and we were like maybe we can stay in LA or like we'll move to Puerto Rico and just like live there whatever <laughs> like we had these like plans and then yeah. we were like what does that translate to and it's like oh no you need to triple that number <laughs> oh god yeah uh, so you know good luck guys <laughs> uh, thank you no nope, well, we thank you well, that <laughs> we is don't the need final luck. episode of the system is broken thank you <laughs> see you uh, later thought this was a money maker apparently it is not <laughs> hey someday that's the dream the <laughs> only reason we did this podcast was to make money <laughs> yeah. um, um so muriel really quickly tell us about your kind of artistic uh pursuits you are an actor yes uh, uh what do i do I'm bitter from from coronavirus. Yeah, uh, tell us what you did before did the before world ended. I'll do that. I can't. Yeah. I'll say like starting in 2019. Before you became a blacksmith in the apocalypse, what was your? I'm really there. Okay, so what I do and what I need to own about doing, um, I co-produce a podcast with my husband. We write scripts together. We're both writing partners. I perform at the Ruby with some of my best friends. Thank uh, you. Named Randy and Lindsay, and then a couple other people. Um, <laughs> I uh, I co-produce and am in the cast for a musical theater company that's been at the Upright Citizens Brigade for like twelve or thirteen years, um, and we do like full length. Uh, scripted musicals that we put up in a month those are really really fun those are big crazy shows we just recently like relatively recently like made a web series and we wrote it and uh, I learned how to edit so I edited that project which was really cool and did a lot of stuff I had never done before Um, so yeah mostly like anything that's fun I guess (laughs) (laughs) so um, you've been going on in the before times, we'll call it, you're going on uh, a lot of auditions, commercial auditions mostly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have like my, um, I really like my agent. She's been, I mean, as far as that kind of stuff goes, she's great. And she sends me out. I go out a lot. I mean, it's really, it's, it's interesting. It's like, I, I didn't think I didn't have like a lot of faith about going out. Like, I feel like I don't really have a type or like when I was, you know, growing up, it's a weird, like I, I'm biracial. I'm half black and half white and I'm in my late thirties. 
And when I was younger, that was just something that was like now ethnically ambiguous is like obviously much more embraced by the industry. But when I was growing up, that was a lot like there was so much I didn't get because of that. Like not, you know, like just not white or black enough to kind of fit any kind of type. Yep. And I think I brought that with me, you know, carried it through in life. So even when the world, the culture changed and like everything kind of shifted, I still was like, oh, I probably won't really go out, you know, and I ended up going out a lot. I don't book that much, but I get a lot of my callback ratio is really high and I go out a lot. I don't know. Maybe a lot's a weird word, but like maybe three or four times a week for a while. That and then, like a um, lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right before in old times, right before we shut down, um, I didn't go out for a while. And then I started going out. So I'm 37 and I started going out for all 50 plus. I got <laughs> called wow. in like, wow. to do an AARP commercial where I had to talk what? about what I did for my 50th birthday. <laughs> my husband that I had was actually a grandpa and had brought his son, a grandson with him. And we like slow danced and like kissed. <laughs> and, like, oh, wow. And like, I got so like, it's been, uh, I, it's a very humbling journey. I was like, I'm not going to go out. And then I go out a ton, but it's like all for, like my, the parts are 20 years older and that's yeah. really weird. Cause you show up and like, you know, I was showing up for 55 year old black woman and I'm, I would show up and there would be 55 year old black women. And then I'm yeah. a 37 year old biracial, like, yeah. <laughs> like practically white passing woman. Yeah. And I would just like, I would walk in and they would look at me like I was such an asshole. And I was like, I am. I just, I'm so mad that I'm here. I hate that this is the world, you know? So it's, it's interesting. It's like, but that's a, mostly, I go out for mostly that. Yeah. <laughs> so when um, we approached you about doing this podcast, um, you know, the whole reason we do the system is broken is to try and zero in on small areas in the system that are broken. Cause the hope is that we can figure them out and understand them and try and correct them. Uh, yeah. And then when all the small problems are fixed, then there will be no big problems. <laughs> um, but you had talked about uh, non-union work and the difference between non-union. Would, would you kind of go into the difference between non-union and union work? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I am like SAG eligible, so I'm not SAG, but that just means I go out for both uh, union and non-union auditions um and usually the union ones like you know are just i mean i think the biggest difference is the non-union ones i do i mean obviously that's like where most of the commercial work a lot of the commercial work is um so those are like the vast majority of the ones that i go out for it's just really i don't know i i think like i've really noticed this in also restaurant work it's an interesting thing but it's like the less you have to pay people the less you value their time. Oh, so for sure. like, yeah. When I worked in restaurants in Chicago, they pay like four twenty-five an hour for servers, right? And so you'd show up, and they would have six servers on for a job that two servers would do, right? right. And then they would make you clean the bathrooms. <laughs> like, right. It was like really great. <laughs> like I had I had to quit ten ten W twos in one year because I had to quit so many jobs because I'd show up, and because they could pay us so little, you know they would really exploit 
our time. And then yeah. when I moved to, to Los Angeles, you know, we get 15 an hour, 14, 50 or something. And they give us breaks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was working like 14 hour shifts in Chicago. I cannot do that in LA. Like, like they give you breaks. They like are really respectful of your in and out time. Like they get you out of there. Like you make your money and you leave. Like, and it's, it's really similar at least in my experience with like commercial auditions, it's like, yeah, the if they don't have to pay you for keeping you, then they keep you for as long as they want to. At least my experience has been like, and I know everyone's kind of well intentioned, but there's no consequence. So, like, I've been in auditions where the client was there and it was like the first auditions, not callbacks, and they decided they wanted to do callbacks in the audition. So, I had to sit and wait in a room for almost three hours with like 60 people while the client oh, wow. would like look at the same person like three times. So like the yeah. same person would keep yeah. going back into the audition room. So like, that's like, it's insanity. <laughs> like, yeah. And you can't, yeah. you know, like you can leave, but like you can get in trouble, you know? And like, it's just really wild. Like what you have to do to sure. yeah, like just stay in the room, you know, or get into right. the room. And it's like, it's an odd thing. Cause it's like, you're the one, I mean, including travel time. Sometimes I'd be like, it's like five hours out of your day that you have yeah. to be completely mm -hmm. flexible about at any time. Right. And like with the union auditions, sometimes they go over, but because they have to pay, you know, if you're, if they hold you forever like they're right. just way more like you get in and get out there's know? a bit more consideration of, of yeah. time. I think so. I mean, do you yeah. guys find that to be true yeah i mean i think yeah. that in my experience there i am frustrated with commercial casting in general and you know i've, I've been going on union auditions now for i forget how many years but almost a decade i think wow. but i i um to me there's still the the industry itself doesn't value actors times almost at all so I you know and and there are I love I am very happy to be a member of SAG after and I think that they do a good job of protecting you but there is a certain amount of your time is going to be wasted at some point in that yeah. process in the audition to the booking to shooting you know all of that process there's going to be some some time waste but I forget what the the time limit is for callbacks Lindsay do you remember if you I think were it's to sign out an hour I think that's or right I think it's if yeah, but then you know there's this is tangentially related, but then there you also kind of get dirty looks if you do sign out. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but okay, so the non-union work is there's just no rules protecting any any of the actors, any of the people doing the non-union work, and a lot of the commercials you you think that oh it must be for small like. I don't know, the shoe store down the street is doing a non-union commercial, but it's not. It's actually no. major, major corporations that are doing yeah. a lot of non-union work. And um, I know I don't quite understand why that happens uh, at all. I think that it's kind of contrary to what people think about when they think non-union work. It, it doesn't mean right. that at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's really and crazy. Oh, the other thing that also is nuts is like with the union stuff, you go in I know that things happen and like, for whatever reason, like the union stuff that I've gone in for, it's like, I'm pretty reasonably could be considered for. And I think that other piece of this too, is like, not only are you waiting on these non-union lines, but like, sometimes they have like, it's like a shotgun blast. Like, you don't know, like I shouldn't be there. It's like, not, uh -huh. not the right 
person to be there. It's yeah. like the the waiting room is full of like a thousand different types of people. You have one script and then you start with that script and they give you instructions and then they change halfway through. And it's like, right. you just, and that's part of what like keeps it going. But I think that's another thing is like, you can just kind of, because there's so many of us and all of us want to work and there's no consequence for keeping us, you know, it's like, well, then let's just see everybody. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And there's a yeah. difference in pay too for the final product, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I shot a commercial last year. Um, and if I didn't get into the final cut, I wouldn't have after like, it was out in the middle of a Santa Monica mountains is where we mm -hmm. were shooting. This was like insane. Like we went out there and it was this massive shoot. I mean, there were just like tons and tons of people, mm -hmm. huge crews. Like, you know, they had this like crafty setup that was like Brazilian barbecue. And they had like all of these, like for that shoot day in my segment, I was the only person in my, like, so it's like one of those kinds of like, you see flashes of all different kinds of people. Right. So mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not like doing background stuff. I'm like, the person in my segment, right? I think after taxes and agency fees and taking the day off of work, I broke even for what I made on the wow. shoot. And then wow. I got a I got a check afterwards, but if I hadn't if my little sliver of thing hadn't made it, I wouldn't have gotten paid at all. Wow. And that's after doing like hundreds of yeah. auditions. Right. Yeah. I yeah. Also like I maybe not I mean like my my you know, I've gotten into a position where they say like I got you this audition and they expect you to be there like on the weekends. Right. Right. And it's like, well, I have to make money. You know what right. I mean? Like I have to do yeah. something. I could give you nine to five availability Monday through Friday. You yeah. Know, like then it's also the expectation that you then like call out your shift to right. go to one of these, you know, like how much money you actually lose doing. Yeah. This. And that's a one-time payment for most of these contracts rather yeah. than getting you don't get anything unless residuals. The, yeah. You don't get residuals. The only paycheck you get is if, it re renews yeah. the next year, um, which did not happen for us. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, there's I, I, a real lack of transparency um, between what actors know about how non-union uh, jobs work, why bigger companies are doing non-union jobs, why non-union jobs are so much more popular and prevalent than union work. I think that if we could just solve like some of those issues today, just like, yeah. like clear up some of that confusion, I would feel yeah. a lot better. How would you feel Muriel if that like stuff was solved? Oh, great. I would love, I mean, I really am curious about the other end because I would, I do want to be clear also, like for me, it's not like necessarily blaming a certain party. It's like, like saying, oh, I'm mad because I think like, casting directors are work wasting my time like when you show up it's like everybody's working so hard like, yeah yeah everybody's trying to like do get something started you know like yeah. we all want to we all want a job yeah. it's just a matter of like i don't understand the why some of these things are necessary but i'd love even just knowing that it would be helpful yeah i think like even I just shining a light on on any of these kind of practices that it's easy from our end to kind of just see the trickle down effect which is we're sitting there for five hours of our day and not getting paid for it but it is helpful to hear at least just from yeah for for me i think too it would be helpful to hear from a more authoritative source than myself oh and do we have one do <laughs> we we have one waiting standing by
Our expert guest is Kim Kalish. Yay! Hi, Kim. How are you? Good. I'm good. You know, I'm in the office. I'm actually in a, a, an audition room at the Ooh. moment. I'm just hanging out and working on a Saturday. Just lending an air of authenticity to your yes. appearance. <laughs> Kim is a casting associate by day and a comedian and storyteller at night. Where I guess I don't need you to say where you cast out of, <laughs> or unless you want to. Um, I actually I have a kind of a unique situation in that I I freelance casting associate work, um, and I also freelance the like the lobby person that you guys would like sign you in in an audition. Yeah, but I have freelanced associate work with several offices around town. Great. So, sort of all over the place. Excellent. Oh, great. So you got a lot, you got a lot of gas, a lot yeah. of hot, <laughs> hot gas. I'm not, I'm not proud at the amount of casting I've done in my life. Uh. And, <laughs> and do you do both uh, union and non-union commercials? Yeah, everybody does now. You can't, great. You can't survive without, without doing both. But great. I'm going to kind of start at the end, maybe and work back, which is to say that union and non-union status has nothing to do with casting directors. Uh -huh. We don't decide whether it's union or non-union. That comes from generally the agency yeah. uh, in talks with the production company, right? Yeah. The agency is the one that pitches the commercial, your production company or the people who actually make it. And then they call generally their favorite casting director to right. then cast the show or cast the commercial. We have nothing to do with whether or not it's union. I've right. seen a couple of times where we've said, you know, this script is going to need good actors. Is there any talk of it going union? But at the end of the day, I have no control over that. And yeah. my boss has no control over that. Yeah, and I know a number of casting directors who have kind of joined the push with SAG-AFTRA to, in the, the Ads Go Union campaign, to really try to have, at least, you know, bring that up in those meetings without, you know, knowing that they don't have a ton of leverage, but to say, you know, I know 30 excellent SAG actors who I cannot bring in for this. Right, yeah. so the other problem is that the reason you see so many people at a non-union commercial is because 70% of the people we see are going to be crap. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, yeah. the fact of life. Yeah. So what you see as, oh, well, they've just called in everybody. Yeah. The reason I've called in everybody is because it takes 600 people to find three people I can call back. Yeah. So, and that's just, that's across the board. Yeah. There is no consistency in non-union. Uh, anyone can be a non-union actor. And I, I don't say that um, dismissively. I started yeah. as a non-union actor. I am now a SAG actor. I go out on commercial auditions. So yeah. like I've, I'm on both sides of it right now. Yeah. Um, but there, we don't have a choice. You're just not, the quality of acting is just not there. It's also why you'll find, uh, so when I was non-union, um, I had about like a 50% callback rate as an actor non-union commercials. When I went union, that has dropped, that dropped significantly yeah. you know, down to like maybe 20%. And it's not that I got worse. It's just that everybody's now better. Yeah. Right. Right. So I would just say those are great points. It's um, yeah, that just anyone can be a non-union actor. Right. You, it's, it's a lot harder to join the union because to join the union, you have to either, um, there are some people who shoot your own SAG like web series, I think that's mm -hmm. still a thing. And then you can apply it to, yeah, back, yeah. back ends that way. I know the way that I joined the union was um, I did some sad commercials and then was Taft Hartley Den and then was a must join after a 
three commercials that were SAG-AFTRA. So that's how I joined. Um, and I think that's how a lot of people join. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So it's like you, what that shows that you've been auditioning a lot, that you've done a lot of work. Um, so, yeah, you're not like green just off the bus from wherever. Well, and you have to commit several thousand dollars for your your initiation fee and then the ongoing union dues are not cheap either it's yeah right. percentage of your income but if you make zero income you're still paying i forget what the current rate is but it's a couple hundred bucks a year right like yeah. 50 bucks or something right so i mean you have this sort of storm where like i mean i can't stand non-union work it's uh it's exhausting from the office side you have to yeah. call in a lot more people you're dealing with like a lot uh, can I say bullshit on here? Yeah, You're dealing with sure. a lot more bullshit of actors just not understanding what's going on. And uh, typically they don't pay well on the casting mm. side. They, yeah. are, they are cutting funds as much on our side as they are on your side, right? Yeah. Nobody likes them. Yeah. I don't know. The only time <laughs> that I think they work and the reason why non-union existed at the beginning is like if you need a cowboy and you don't have time to train a cowboy, you should be able to go out and get a cowboy. Yeah. That's yeah. the point of non-union work. Any sort of special skill, it, that, I think that should be non-union. That makes sense to me. And because actors lie all the time about what they can and cannot do. I think the, the valuing your time thing is, it's important. I'm a stickler for this because I've been yelled at by actors so many times being snobs about wanting to leave as if I'm in control of that. Yeah. I'm not. I worked a job where the audition was running an hour behind, which is obnoxious. Mm -hmm. And the producers announced to us in callbacks that they were going to take an hour long um, conference call. I don't have control of that. And people wow. were screaming at us. And it's like, yeah. you're absolutely right. This is stressful for everyone. I can't do anything. You're welcome to leave. You're welcome to come back. It's whatever you want. Like right. yeah. casting associate people, casting in general is almost always on the actor side. I don't know any. Yeah. Like when you're looking at a lobby person, when you're looking at cam op, 90% of the time, those are actors. Yeah. Right. Those are, they're either actors or they're casting director wannabes. Mm -hmm. So that's a terrible way to say aspiring <laughs> casting director. One of these. That's obnoxious. And clearly I have opinions about certain cam ops, but <laughs> they're actors, right? They're like, I mean, God, they book so many commercials because they're in the room, right? These yeah. are good people. And so the idea that we weren't we wouldn't be on your side, I find to be complete a complete fallacy. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, if you're nasty to me, I will 100% hide you and not let you get that job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. If you're not nice to somebody in the room, are you going to be nice to somebody on set? Are you going to be like professional? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, totally crazy to think like, because the thing is, is like you're saying, if you have to leave, you just have to leave. Like, there's no reason to yell at anyone. Right. It's like, how is that going to solve? I know I've watched that happen sometimes. And I'm like, I just emailed like my agent and told them I had to go. <laughs> like, yeah. You yeah. know, if, yeah. if you really are stuck and you can't, yeah. you can't sit there any, any longer because you have to do something else. Right. Like, right. there's literally no reason to get mad about it to yeah. the right. person who's sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that goes into what you guys were talking about with signing in and out that you get nasty looks when you sign out mm -hmm. uh, 
on a first call, if you're running late, the people that have to pay the overage are is the casting office. Yeah. So I will 100% tell you, we try everything to not let you sign that because it is money out of our pocket. Yeah. Right. That said, you are 100% within your union rights to sign that document. Oh, for sure. Also, if you don't sign it, you will not get paid. So right. if we go three hours over, but you didn't come back and sign out, don't matter. Didn't happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If it is a callback, it is production's fault, and therefore oh. production has to pay. Yeah. Uh, I am less of a stickler when it comes to signing out them because I didn't do it. Right. So I'm not in trouble. Right. <laughs> My fault. Right. When you're in the midst of lobbying, if you if a job is running late, whoever is lobbying is stressed out completely. Yeah because it's chaos and whoever is doing the associate work, whether it's the lobby person or someone else uh, is also stressed just completely up and against the wall. It's terrible. And so if you are going to sign out, you know, understand that they are as stressed out as you are. So don't demand it. Like say like, Hey man, we're an hour. I'm so sorry, but I got to sign out. It's yeah. just gonna go over well. Cause you're going to treat them like humans and yeah. not, they're in servitude to anyone. I think it's a really good point that you're making about casting being on the actor's side. It's like we're all it kind of like the str- strong term to use victim, but like we are all kind of receiving the bad part of this industry and its practices mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily originating with anybody who's having to have the actual conversation. That is so, I mean, it's frustrating to like audition for like, you know, a big, like Coke, you know, <laughs> or like Coca-Cola or like something that's like really big and you go in and you know the reason why it's like that partly is because they just don't want to pay. Can I uh, just jump in real quick? Because I feel like <laughs> we never really broke down exactly what happens when you go in for an audition. And uh, if you don't know, then we like we tossed around like signing in, signing out. Right, um, right, right. Like kind of in the know. Tap Hartley. <laughs> yeah, Tap Hartley. <laughs> um, so I just kind of want to like do a quick vocab check. But um, so when you walk in, you get it. You get an audition from your agent. It comes through your email. You confirm the audition. You uh, go over to I don't know some place on La Brea uh, where the audition is being held, and you get the script. Maybe you got it ahead of time. There's a sign-in sheet, even if it's a non-union commercial, if it's a union commercial, there's a sign-in sheet. So if it's a non-union commercial, it's basically just like a name and maybe a phone number, email address kind of a thing. Um, If it's a union commercial, you have a lot more information that you're putting in and that's all kept. I'm sure all of it, you keep track of all of it. You're not like throwing the non-union stuff away, but it's possible that you would get paid from signing in if you go over, um, which we kind of said that earlier, but I just wanted to be really clear. And there's a person working at the front where you sign in and you were calling them the lobby person. Right. Right. And so what's the difference between a lobby person, a camera op and an associate? And a casting director. Sure. So we'll start from the top and go down. So you have the casting director, which is the person who is speaking directly to the production company that's making the uh, the job. They're the person with their name on the office door. They are in charge of everything. Depending on the office, they're usually the ones that are going to be pulling selects. Uh, then you have your casting associate. Best way to think of that is assistant, right? They're the person who does all the mundane shit that the casting director does not want to do, which would be a lot of communications with agents. Uh, the associate is also the one that sets up all the profiles on uh, LA Casting and Casting Frontier, which are your two main commercial uh, audition websites. So those are your two main people in your office. 
on the day of the audition, you have someone who uh, we call cam ops. Technically speaking, their actual title are session directors, but everyone just calls themselves a cam op. Those are the people in the room running the camera. If it's your first call to the audition, they're the only person in the room, generally speaking, and they will be, the reason they're called session director is because they would actually be directing you within your audition. Uh, When you have a callback and you have the actual clients, which is production and agency, and you have the actual clients in the room, uh, your session director sort of just becomes a cam op. They press the button to go and they follow you around. Your lobby person is sort of low man on the totem pole. They're the person who signs you in and out. If it is a small audition, almost always that's the associate because there's no reason to pay someone a day when I could just be doing it if it's a slow day. If it's a busy day, then we hire another person called the lobby person. And that's the person whose sole function is to sign you in and out of the audition, give you the sides. And then uh, like on callbacks, if someone doesn't show up, we call your agent and yell at them for you not being there. Yes. Uh, Thank you for breaking all that down. The other thing I want to say, since we're in the middle of talking about what these things are, is understanding, I think this is really important, that if you got in the room, you should be congratulating yourself for getting in the room. And for me, that means like absolutely take that time off and congratulate yourselves. I looked up the numbers while we were sitting here and my last two jobs, I had 6,000 people apply and then I had 4,500 people apply. And we can see about Pre-COVID, you could see about 120 people in a day if you really packed it in. Right. Nowadays, during COVID, because it takes longer to flip everything around, we're seeing about 60 to 80 people a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you had an audition, congratulate yourselves and absolutely go do the thing that you're in LA to do and deal with the fact that you have less money in your pocket for the mm-hmm. day, which I know is a little harsh, but I mean, seriously, like it's so hard to get in the room because yeah. of the amount of people that audition, that if yeah. you get an audition, uh, my attitude is a little like, how dare you not go? You got in. <laughs> you did yeah. it. You got over this huge hurdle that you yeah. had no control over. So like, right. go do the thing that you do have control over, which is get your ass in the room and do a good job. I'm getting very fiery. That's so. <laughs> great. Yeah, it's great. That's good to know, though. I think like w- actors don't have no idea how many people are applying for these jobs. Yeah. So yeah. You have more of a chance of getting in the room if you're non-union based solely on numbers. Yeah. Um, and because we can be a lot more picky on, on union. I don't have to go outside of an age range on union because I know we're going to get it. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Looking for something very specific. If I need someone with bangs and a certain ethnicity, I'm going to find that in non-union. I only have to call in 10 people. I don't have to call in. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's better. uh, This is related to what you were speaking about earlier. How much control do casting directors or how much control do casting directors have over the breakdown? So the breakdown is obviously the description of what the client is looking for, for this particular commercial. Is that coming directly from the ad agency or from production to the casting director? How much is the casting director able to weigh in when they say, we need a 40-year-old white woman with bangs? So all of that comes from the ad agency. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, really, it's through, it's sort of in conjunction between the ad agency and production. We'll get kind of, they're called specs. So each casting spec is a different role. And you'll get, um, we want an African-American male, like 20 to 40 sort of nice dad look. Right. Or we'll get, uh, uh, you know, like, oh, we want 20s to play teenager or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what you generally see is anything that has to do with the actual description of the person came from production or ad agency. When it comes to like, um, should be uh, quirky, but still attractive is probably from casting because we're just interpreting what the, basically we get a commercial treatment, which is what the director has put together of this is what the commercial is going to look like. So we'll take whatever's in the treatment and sort of translate it into what we want as a person. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, totally does. Um, we don't have a huge amount of sway on any of that. The most sway I've seen is when it, is when it comes to older uh, actors. If they want a 70-year-old, we'll sit there and say, like, please don't. Please please let us stretch this out to, like, 50s and 60s or 60s, uh-huh. just because there aren't a lot of actors up there. So yeah. we're just Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay. And then sometimes casting directors have their favorite people. And so even if you don't quite fit the spec you're going to go in because yeah. they like you. So yeah. you'll go. That is 100% true. Um, I once, this is ridiculous, but I once was running a, 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 a casting and at the end of the day, this guy ran in and he was like, please, I was late. Is there any way you can see me? And it was like, okay, come on. I'll read with you. And the, the role that I was reading was for a 50s African-American woman. So like I didn't, I didn't even like introduce myself on the tape. I just right. read with him. Yeah. And I got a callback for that, which is absolutely insanity. Yeah. And when I walked in, you could see the entire clients being like, who called her back? Who? <laughs> <laughs> yes. For some reason, you gave me a callback to this and I don't know why. And so yeah. It's like, hello, I am 50 years old. Right. Uh, you know, this is what it looks like. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I don't want to miss about why this is happening yeah. and, yes. and what yeah. you can do. This is happening because they can, because they're For getting sure. away with it. Um, I have heard legend, and I do not know if this is true, but the answer I have gotten multiple times is that it actually started with certain sketch theaters in New York ah. were sharing non-union casting notices with their performers and their performers would go in. And so you were getting high quality, funny people to go in for performance for auditions and they were all non-union. And so people started seeing funny commercials that were non-union and they started seeing what they could do to lower the bar and get more people. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. I've had several people say it to me. I don't know if this is like a weird legend, but at the end of the day, it just comes down to they can get quality actors if they have to. Right. They don't care about the amount of time it takes because they're not paying for that. Right. So, I mean, even six years ago, seven years ago, you would get a $20,000 buyout for a non-union. Right. And then they started going, well, what if we can get $15,000 buyout? Well, what if yeah. it's a $10,000 buyout and just gets yeah. lower and lower? And I literally just ran a national commercial I just cast one. It's going to be epic. It's going to look incredible. It's they're going to run it for at least a year, and the buyout was fifteen hundred dollars. Oh my god! That's yeah. Disgusting. That's all I've been seeing is something yeah. like around that twelve to fifteen hundred. Yeah. yeah, right. It's terrible. And I think just to interject quickly for for people who don't maybe know the financials of commercials, uh, a union commercial actor, a SAG actor who's booking, who's shot maybe three or four commercials a year, depending on obviously the usage and and all of that, if there's you know other factors, you can expect like a an, a middle class salary out of three or four national commercials a year. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. you know 
huge it's not high six figures money at all it's a a you know pretty good job in a in the normal not performing world of you know salary whereas you know and that covers the thousands of hours you spend doing all of the you know the auditions and everything else that you're not working uh, a fifteen hundred dollar buyout for doesn't cover anything yeah exactly (laughs) it's basically like you know yeah i mean that's what i meant when i'm saying like obviously like i'll i go i try to go to everything i can but even if i book it i can't even afford I mean, there's, there's no way to afford to live. I think like when we start to think about like, yes, I want to get into this. You're under the pretense that once you start to book, there is the chance that like that will actually be an income for you. And now it becomes like, at least in my experience, it's like good exposure, the opportunity to get on set. Like, I mean, you're kind of moving into this realm where like I've been taft hard late a few times, but like I haven't hit that, you know, place where I would get SAG work. And I think that it is, I think that there is just something about like the promise of like, yes, if you work really hard and you do as much as you can and you go up for every audition, there is a point where like you could make some money. And then when these payouts are like after taxes and fees, like a good weekend bartending, it is like you do have to kind of come to terms with the idea that it's like for a lot of people, at least now in 2020, it's like not sustainable. Like, it's like, how can you, you want to be here and you want to be doing this work, but that's one thing for me that like, I have to check in with myself again to see like, is this actually what I said I wanted to do? Like when I came out here, you know, it's, it's such a different reality than it was even like five years ago. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really fair. And I think the answer to that is no, that's not what you want to be or should be doing. You, your time should be respected and that's not what's happening. I don't think you have a lot of power as a non-union actor. There's no one protecting you whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Right, uh, right. Part of the reasons you pay those big fees in SAG is because if someone doesn't pay you within 21 days, they will sue you and they yeah. will run after you with a team of lawyers that is sitting yeah. there at any time. Right. Uh, technically speaking, a non-union production could not pay you and who's going to fight them? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's basically the Better Business Bureau. It's like, yeah. like yeah. labor laws. Yeah. Well, So where you do have power, though, is you have power as a union actor and you have power when it comes to who is repping you at SAG. SAG's response to non-union commercials has been to create all these insane different kinds of contracts that lower SAG payments in order to make it more affordable for a production company. Right. Now you've got an airplane one where if it's on an airplane, you only get a $1,500 buyout. If if it's running digital, but it's not running social medias, then you get a certain amount of edits and you can, you'll get a buyout. And there's just, it's insanity. Yeah. But that's because the people at SAG are actors from the nineties that do not do commercial work. Yeah know anything about commercial work yes so i mean the rumor is is that they had to be taught what actors access was last year that someone had to go in and like show management what it was you just hurt my heart i know (laughs) 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 the reason why the reason why the leadership at sag fights for still having first class seats to production is because that's the world they know They only know, fly me out to Georgia, I want my first class seat. They don't understand protect the working actor because they haven't been the everyday working actor, the like middle class working actor in 25 years, 30 years. Mm -hmm. 
right? Yeah. So they their response to this has been creating these like idiotic uh, contracts instead of holding tight to union work, right? Right. So for example, uh, the DGA is very strong. And that Coke commercial that plays during network TV, that Coke commercial has to have a DGA director. The director right. on that commercial will make fifty to hundred grand. The yeah. actor will make a thousand dollars, and that's because the DGA said that if you're on network television, you have to have a DGA director. Right. We don't have that guarantee anywhere. Yeah. In fact, yeah. we wow. don't have the guarantee. This one is absurd to me that you can have a commercial play during a SAG show and it can be a non-SAG commercial. Insane. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. We should be partnering with the DGA. We should be creating these rules that say you don't get to screw over the commercial actor just because they're not a TV actor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just to, to interject quickly, it, it, I like that that part of the solution is using the mechanism of our representation, using the fact that there is a a strong union. And I think, you know, I obviously we're, we're always going to have issues with certain ways that SAG does business, but I am like super happy that they exist. I want to work to improve them. Right. But I think that part of what you're advocating for as a solution, which I think is a good one, is using that existing structure and, and really pushing those representatives and pushing those elected officers to wield their power. Right, right. I think it is so important. Um, under 20% of SAG actors voted in the last election for the right. new contract. And that yeah. new contract was not good. It was mm-hmm. not good. But what happened was, is a bunch of older actors who always vote went and voted and a bunch of young actors who are everyday actors didn't vote and we lost. Yeah. We shouldn't have lost. It was a terrible contract, but we don't we don't hold them to the fire and so we lost. Right. So you have to hold your people accountable. Yeah. That said, and what I'm gonna say is a lot of people don't like, but you should not be going FICOR if you have a problem with non-union commercials. Yeah. You are part of the problem. Yeah. Because if you're willing to go FICOR, it means that you're willing to give non-union commercials SAG level acting. Yeah. And, and could you just give a quick ex- explanation for people who don't know what FICOR is? Sure. FICOR is this thing that came out of um, a court settlement that said it's basically right to work. You don't have yeah. the right to um, deny someone uh, non-union work if they choose to do non-union work. And so what SAG said is we'll create this thing called FICOR in which you're allowed to do non-union work and union work, but still be in the the union, but you lose some of your privileges. You're not allowed to vote and you're not allowed to get screeners. And I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. and there's not really – I I would love to educate myself on this, but the, the there's not as much of a penalty for getting back in afterwards, right? You can essentially jump in and out, yes. um, pay a fee, and then you're back in. Right. And the only people who are going FICOR are commercial actors. You're yeah. not doing it as television. You're not going to do non-union work as television. Right. You are cutting the legs out from your union representatives when you go FICOR. Right. That's just – that's just the long and the short of it yeah. uh, because you're saying that you're crossing a picket line at the end right. of the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you're going to say that you're a union person, if you're going to say you want better contracts and that this shouldn't be happening, then you have to take the small financial hit of not doing non-union commercials and then hold your representatives to the fire. Yeah. But you can't do both. Right. Because it just, you can't play both sides. And then say, but actually you should be doing better. Right. 
you know? And that's part of just valuing your own self too. I think that if you, obviously this is an incredibly difficult industry and I've, you know, uh, we've all had struggles up and down and, and made money and not made money. But if you value your talent and yourself, you're also saying when you do that, I'm going to give you a quality product at a discount. And I am that product that I'm willing to basically just like sell myself you know, at a discount because, you know, for the, the benefit of having some work rather than saying, you know, no, you can, you can go out to this pool and not have a quality actor like me, not have a quality comedian, comedian, you know, in the same way that the DGA is saying, fine, try and try and use a non-union director and see what you get. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, and it's, it's a respect thing at the end of the day, right? It's you respect yourself. It's that your union respects your work. And it's that these producers who really are the people pushing this because they're the money people, the producers will start to respect the fact that there is better consistent quality of acting if you're a SAG actor. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And that's just the way that's just the, the nature of the beast. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know, if I want to build a beautiful skyscraper in New York, do I do I want to get a union carpenter where I know there's a consistency of work or do I want to get a non-union carpenter where everything could be off by, you know, a foot? Right. I think I'm going to go for the carpenter. It's more money up front, but it's better work. And that's right. the same thing with SAG. Right. Yeah. And also just, I mean, let's say you book six non-union commercials in a year. I mean, what did you make? $10,000 maybe? Yeah. If you booked yeah. one union commercial in two years, you've now made that double. Yeah, right? right. So don't go to those auditions. Hold off. Be a fucking beast in the room. That's the only way we get out of this is to fight for better contracts. Right. Right. I wonder too. I mean, I I wonder from the non-union actor perspective, if I'm an actor who just moves to LA and I have no, you know, no in here, I don't have an agent, I have nothing and, and I'm talented and I want to be in the union finding an avenue for those actors to become members. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was non a non-union actor, it was so difficult to get in. I think that there obviously has to be a standard. And I think that standard, the financial commitment and also the the difficulty to get in weeds out a lot of people who are just going to kind of try it and and ultimately not be ready. But I think finding some way to have an easier pathway so that we can open the door to actors who otherwise would would maybe want to go sag but can't or you know don't don't know how to get in you know don't know what steps to take uh so that they can stop doing those non-union commercials right i mean it's like i think even like coming into it i'm not i haven't been doing this for that long like maybe two years at this point there is so much more representation on the side of pro non-union work like if you start and you talk to anyone like coming into LA for me, at least it was like, you will not work. All the commercial work is non-union. If you want to join SAG, like good luck, but you're not going to like, then that's just from mainly representation, but then like kind of like the counterpoint to that, something that you're exposed, like if you're a new actor coming into LA, it's not something you're super exposed to. The main thing is like, I think if I could take all the advice that I got when I came here, it was just like, hold off as long as you can don't join like you're not gonna be able to find rep like your rep is saying like i can't do anything with you if you join like it's like so aggressively anti-union in this way that like you know that like looking to see like like the counterpoint to that is just something you're like digging for you know what i mean like right 
it's just such a weird culture. I think what's interesting too, uh, tying back with our last episode, is that we talked with someone who owns an improv theater in Denver. And one of the things that he'd said that is really ruining theater is that actors and comedians aren't valuing their work and are doing free shows. And how free shows have like, really ruined theater and how certain places charge, say, $5 for a ticket, which also devalues all of the work. So I think it's it would be really empowering for actors and comedians to think about all of this in these past two episodes combined as to really value your own work and know that what you're doing, it does have a monetary value attached to it and to not sell yourself out at all. Don't. It's crazy. Like, I think that that's (laughs) such a great point, but you think about like the trade, like this is something I think also is like, this underlying thing. It's like the culture of acting and like how as an actor, you're trained not to value yourself. You really are like, like in, in improv classes and acting classes, like, like in improv classes, if you're not having a great time, like that's the slogan. Like if you're not having fun, you're the asshole, right? Like that's like the (laughs) saying, right? And that's like, it's like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. I'm the asshole. I don't like this. I'm the asshole. Like when we see like these systemic sort of issues of like exploitation and like harassment, all this shit that is in comedy theaters. It's like that, I feel like culturally, it's just so related, you know, like this idea of like how we treat artists in general in America, (laughs) like how we train artists and what we want a good artist to be as somebody who I think is malleable, right? And then to feel grateful to get on stage and we don't pay performers and we don't pay, fine, we charge, we don't charge a lot for the shows, but we also like the people are spending hours and hours creating content that they don't get paid for that we should be feeling lucky to have. I also think it's important that if you're waiting for someone to empower you, you will wait forever. The only people in this world that are going to empower you is yourself, right? As an actor, you are the lowest man on the totem pole in any situation, unless you are an A-list star. I'm going to tell you a quick story, and then I actually have to get off because I have to run back to work. But I was doing a job where I, I was cast in this commercial, and I sat down for the contract, and I read the contract, as you should always do when you get on set. And I read the contract, and something felt wrong, and I could not put my finger on what felt wrong. And there were 10 of us and everyone signed this contract. And I'm looking at this contract and I know it's wrong. And the PA start pushing saying, Hey, we got to get you into, to makeup. Can you please go sign this contract? And you know, like one of the, I think like the second, second director, who's like the person who's wrangling everyone, they run by and they were like, Hey, sign it. We got to get you into makeup. And I'm looking at this and I know it's wrong, but I could not put my finger on what was wrong. So I took a picture of it and I sent it to my agent at the time. And he called me and he says, you don't sign a fucking thing. And then got off the phone with me. And I was like, okay. And so I sat there. Everyone was yelling at me to get into makeup. They were threatening to kick me off the job and have someone else do it. And I just sat there. And I sat there for like an hour. And it was the scariest thing I have ever done on set because I thought I might lose this job. I thought uh, I was going to piss everyone off. I thought I was just going to ruin the whole thing. And I just sat there. And my agent called me back and Matt said, okay, they're bringing you a new contract. You need to make sure that your renewal fee looks like this uh, and not what you were going to sign. And I said, fine. Because what they tried to do was change the renewal fee to um, something significantly less Mm. and to something that was a joke Mm -hmm. uh, versus it was like, I think it was like a seven or eight grand bump on the renewal. And they didn't want to, they were just changing the contract. 
And so I finally signed it. You know, they, a PA ran out and was like, so sorry, we got you the wrong contract. Right, right, right. <laughs> you happened to print up 10 of the wrong oh ones. Yeah. Prior <laughs> Sally, she did it. And, <laughs> and then I signed it. And then I went and I did it. And like, guess what? Everyone was fine. Yeah. And then a year later when they had the renewal happened and I got a check for seven grand, it dawned on me that no one else in that room got that seven grand right. because nobody else advocated for themselves right? because it was scary. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking scary. Yeah. But if I hadn't read it and knew my contract and knew something was wrong and knew to call someone and then had the labia to do it, then it wasn't going to happen. Right. Right. So you have to advocate for yourself. And so when it comes to this like non-union union work, like you should be advocating for non-union, but to do that is scary and hard because it means you are going to take a financial hit at first, not in the long run. And it means that you have to be aggressive with your reps, which are not fun, but that's what they're there for. And right. you're in this town to make a living, then you should be fighting for all the things that make it easier for you to make a living and not just saying, okay, because some rich chick in an office somewhere wants to make more money. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's my preach. Yeah. I think that's great. <laughs> that's great. That is great. Uh, that's thank you. At. Thank you so much. Thank for you, Kim. Being a part of this. This is super helpful. And I think for me personally, it's just helpful to hear from the other side too, of just like, I can easily see like what the problems are from the actor's side, but hearing basically that casting directors are also experiencing a lot of the same effects yeah. is is really helpful to me yay and yeah. um, anytime i obviously have a lot of opinions about this so i will <laughs> gladly come back on whenever you guys need so <laughs> Great. good so um i am gonna run though because uh we just found out that the person we booked for a commercial uh lied and they're in missouri and not la so i need to go recast something oh, oh no <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> uh, so that's how I'm spending my Saturday. <laughs> yep. Have a great weekend. Sounds like a lovely time. <laughs> Bye, you guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you, yep. So I found that to be super helpful. Yeah. It is so difficult because we are kept so much in the dark mm-hmm. throughout this entire process that, you know, it was a long time. I had booked a few jobs before I really kind of understood that there's a an ad agency who's coming in and that their opinions are probably driving a lot of what I'm seeing. There's a production house that their opinions, the director who's a part of that, or, you know, who's been hired by them all the way up to the client, you know, Mm -hmm. the person at Coca-Cola or whatever company who is on their marketing team who says, this is the kind of commercial that we should do. So there are just so many pieces up the chain that we never even touch and that are so much more important than the, you know, like she was saying, the camera op who is the person that we deal with when we're auditioning yeah Yeah. it's interesting to hear this perspective of like we need to be advocating for ourselves and we're not voting because it's so relevant right now to oh yeah what's going on politically too you know it's like no matter what you need to really be involved in decisions that are being made about your well-being just (laughs) i mean it it is like (laughs) i don't know it's so relevant right now it is like this idea well muriel can we get some some tags for you some um some social medias where can we find you um you can find me on instagram uh at the real muriel montgomery 
<laughs> um, you'll get some fun pictures. I'm mostly active on at Hella in your 30s. That's where I post most of my stuff. And both of those, you can find me if you want to talk about life. <laughs> <laughs> Please just re- DM her to talk about life. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm ready for your DMs. <laughs> Great. Um, Well, thank you so much for coming to us and talking about all this stuff with us today. Really great. It was my pleasure. I learned a lot. It was really cool. Yeah, Yeah, it was really informative. Same here. Thank you so much for listening to The System is Broken. Brought to you by The Ruby LA, which is a theater and comedy school in Los Angeles. You can find us online at therubyla.com or our socials at the underscore ruby underscore LA. We're on Twitter, Instagram. So check us out. Bye.